Hey folks, welcome to another week. Thanks for subscribing. Welcome to the Live Life Aggressively show. Uh-huh. That's right. right. Show, man. Last week. And I'm sticking to it. No more show. no more podcast of two teenagers in their parents' parents' basements <laughs> doing a show or a podcast. Exactly. <laughs> Mom, be quiet. Plus, plus with podcasts, you always have to explain what it is to a lot of people. Podcast, what's that? Yeah, exactly. It's like just just say you have your own radio show. Sounds it's a radio yeah. show. Take it from me. It, it sounds much better when you say you have a radio show. So, oh man. We, so that's the thing, man. Yeah, it's a good week, man. And um you know, I'm sitting here watching the waters go by and pretending I'm Moses or Noah, if you believe in those type stories, man, with all the flooding going on out here in Texas. But, hey, I'm good to go. I see it's good. Some of our listeners actually reached out to me, man, online and social media checking awesome. in on me. So it's good to know. It's like we got a real family here when it comes to our listeners out there checking in. Yeah, we have a lot of so, great listeners. I appreciate in that. Fact, I appreciate yeah, in fact, that. we have a whole bunch I wanted to give some shout outs to. We have. Let's see. These are all guys who've been using coupon code LLA to get 10% off any of our products over at MikeMahler.com or over at Sincere's website, NewWarrior.com. And the coupon code, again, is LLA. And some of the people that have been using it, Randall Bailey, Jeffrey Cordova, Thomas Guthrie, Sebastian Alia, Steve Nelson, Eric Anderson, Aaron Chin, Mark Schramm, Eric Spinney, Jason Daly, Jason Green, Matt Brown, and that's just to name a few. Like I said, I just went on my website and just found these people on my shopping cart, just put them down, so it was very random. So we have a lot more people that are using that coupon code, and it's because of guys like this, and we have a lot of women who support the show too. You guys get to listen to it for free, so don't be that person. Be someone who's on the next shout-out, on the next episode. And even if you don't want to buy our products, you can also support us using Patreon. And how can they use that, Sincere? Exactly. Just head over to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash LLA podcast. And I'm sorry, I can't change the LLA show. That will just confuse things. So just get over it. <laughs> okay, so the slash LLA podcast. And shouts out to Todd Smolin, who also became a monthly supporter of the show recently, a couple of days ago. So thanks, Todd, for actually supporting the show and really, you know, believing in, believing in us. We appreciate that. So, so many folks, man, that we have now jumping on board and supporting us monthly through Patreon. Hey, that one is, that one's a no brainer. You have to buy any products or anything and all the, that goes a long way with us, helping us with production costs and all the, the, all the business stuff that you guys could care less to hear about. And we appreciate that. And also another way you can support the show, head on over to iTunes, Stitcher, tune in and all these other forms of media that you use to listen to the show and just, Rate us, review us, and share the episode. All those things keep this show going and growing, and we appreciate everyone that's continuing to do that. Thanks a lot. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, and you're going to be happy that you're supporting the show when you hear today's guest because we have a we have a Ooh, brilliant yeah. guy on the show today, a really sp- smart sports nutritionist. And I hate even categorizing this just that because his information I, goes far and wide beyond all of that. You know what I like? I like the fact that I, I've seen him referred to online as the world's strongest. Yeah, scientist. very strong guy. And I think that's, that's, that's I think that's a lot better. Yeah, right very, there. very strong guy. So we'll talk about his training. We'll talk about all the interesting projects he has going on. And we're also going to we're actually I was about to say we're going to talk behind a few people's backs. But given that it's on a public format, you know, that's that's not accurate. We're going to be talking about them in front of everybody who listens to this show. How about that? So anyway, without further ado, further ado, we have Thomas Inklinen on the show today. How you doing, man? Excellent. How are you guys doing? Oh, we're doing great, man. Doing great, man. Thomas, real real quick, what are what are some of your top lifts? I know you have a great deadlift and power clean, and you've done strongman competitions. So, um, in terms of like weights, uh, I deadlifted nine forty five from the ground for a triple. Uh, I know maybe around two thousand eleven or twelve might have been the year. In terms of competition, 
Um, I deadlifted a truck about 17 times, um, but the bar height, the handles were positioned parallel and was about knee height. So even though it was mechanically, well, you know, the load was much heavier, mechanically the lift was a lot easier, you know, because of the positioning. Um, I've done 400-pound stones. I've done a 400-pound log overhead. I've done a for. I wasn't the biggest guy in the competitions, but I definitely uh, held my own uh, because I just had good mechanics on the clean. Um, my deadlift mechanics and my squat mechanics were terrible. So the joke was no brain, no pain. So that's what <laughs> enabled me to lift a lot. <laughs> like that. <laughs> I guess the I guess the question everyone's wondering right now is: Were you on any anabolics during this time? Were you on any right. performance enhancement? So, so but back when I started, um, ephedrine was like the drug of choice. So there were definitely right. guys taking testosterone. Um, but when I got involved, uh, testosterone was banned. And I was was pretty young in my career. And I just made a decision, you know, I want to see what I could do as far as I could without taking uh, testosterone. And I would say towards the end of my career, so I, I did tons of ephedrine. And I can remember... Now, keep that point, it was legal in sports at that point. Yeah. I went to this conference, and there was a very uh, very famous uh, researcher lecturing about the hazards of taking ephedrine. <laughs> and so I approached him, and I said, hypothetically speaking, what would happen if someone took 225 milligrams of ephedrine? And his, his lectures were like, the dangers, he was covering up to 75 milligrams. So I'm yeah. talking about three times more. Yeah, that's a lot, man. And he says, uh, I shudder to think of the consequences. <laughs> He's like, oh, it'll kill a guy on the spot. And I go, no, it won't. <laughs> and he's like, yes, it will. I was like, well, have you ever tested anyone taking that high a dose? And he said, no, of course not. I said, well, how do you know what's going to happen if you actually haven't tested the guy at that dose? Because I'm around all these freaks of nature, and I'm telling you right now, I'm taking the lowest dose, and I'm at 225, and so these other guys are way higher. Now, this is ephedrine, and, not ephedra, right, just to distinguish? Yeah, this is, so this was the old, like, many things, the ephedrine hydrochloroform. Right, they came in 25-milligram tablets, which I used to right, take a 25-milligram exactly. tablet. I'd be bouncing off the wall. Yeah, I, can't man, even I was, imagine. Like yeah, up. I can't even imagine <laughs> 200 milligrams. Yeah, so, but you got to keep in mind back then, so this wasn't like I was taking a, a dose of 225 at one time. What happened is... Okay. You take like one tablet and our, we would simulate competition and training. So our workouts might be six hours or eight hours. And, uh, you know, definitely I would say now in retrospect, we were overtraining beyond reason. But, you know, it was kind of like it wasn't really training. It was really more survival. And, you know, the guys that could handle that training volume would respond and grow and get stronger. And it's no different than, you know, a guy following a Bulgarian weightlifting program. Right. Training six times a mm -hmm. day or some other crazy stuff. You wouldn't train a normal person like that. Right. And, uh, anyways, to get mm -hmm. back to answering uh, your original question, towards the end of my career, when I was competing against guys, like, I would literally see guys just ballooning up overnight and, uh, and one, kind of funny story i uh my snatch and my clean were decent they weren't like world record level but they were decent and i was definitely a better olympic type lifter than all the other uh strongman guys and um my, one of my friends starts taking some drugs and like eight weeks later 
his snatch is now better than my clean and jerk. Wow. And, you know, that's like a huge improvement. This is now like, this isn't a guy who's been training for years. It's not a beginner where he just, you know, is going to get some early gains. Right. And so uh, his mom was around us and we were at breakfast. And she goes, how are you getting so strong and big all of a sudden? And he's like, I'm just doing some power lifting. And just, <laughs> if you could have seen the way he does like this motion, like he's doing close grip bench presses. And it was so funny because he was literally popping like stuff right in front of her. <laughs> she just tells her it's vitamins. So uh, it just got me genuinely curious. And I already was publishing studies on how to naturally increase testosterone. Yeah. And naturally, my testosterone was always like 1,100, 1,400, 2,000, like it was really high because of all the, that was what our lab focused on for research. This, this, is, all, this is all naturally, Tom? You were at 1,100, 2,000 without taking? Oh, yeah. That was, wow. Yeah, that was all, that was all well, wow. it was all natural, allowing for the fact that I'm taking, you know, vitamins and herbs and sure. stuff that we know would, would help me get to that level. But then when, um, when I, so again, towards the end of my career, I was like, you know, I've never really taken anything. I really want to see what's going on. And so I started with some transdermal, you know, topical stuff. And then later on, I got into injectable stuff. Topical and testosterone? Yeah. So like the creams, the white, the white creams or gels that guys put on. Yep. And did, you know, the standard like 100 milligram, 10% dose. And uh, no doubt, um, the difference that made is I could train with less volume and lighter weight and get better results. Mm. And uh, that was so different to what I was thinking because uh, I was used to seeing guys that would just train harder and lift more and everything, but they got a lot of overuse injuries, a lot of orthopedic stuff. And so going into this, I didn't want to fall into that same trap where I feel so great. I just trained myself into the ground. Yeah. Um, but I definitely, uh, I never really did anything crazy. Like I never took anything higher than, um, 400 milligrams a week of multiple anabolic agents. Most of the guys, I knew guys doing over a thousand milligrams a day. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, it was kind of one of those things that I tried it. I liked it. Um, I probably didn't go as crazy as compared to my ephedrine use. That was like pain, you know, yeah. it really was nothing. Right. Um, <laughs> And then compared to like when I trained with some of the West Side Barbo guys, you know, a lot of those guys were just like, they would laugh at the stuff I was doing, <laughs> but I was just, uh, was they, they would control. laugh because it was so low compared to what they do. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they, they were, yeah but you know, we were just open about what we were doing. Right. And, and so the basis, the basis for what I was doing was I was actually, I was drawing blood on myself. I literally had a, um, tubes and needles at my bedstand. I could draw my own blood. So I wake up in the morning, literally before I even got out of bed to take a piss, I'm drawing my blood. So I had like, you know, a real early blood drop and I would see what my levels were. And I couldn't justify taking higher dosages than 400 milligrams of testosterone because, I mean, I was like, that translated to levels of like 3,000 to 4,000 in my blood. Were there any negatives with your red blood cell count or, any, or, any, or anything else? Did you ever look at that? Just your yeah, so, overall profile? Yeah, so I, I, I measure every vitamin, every mineral, every yeah. essential amino acid, every fatty acid. Mm. I mean, we measure thousands of markers. Mm. So I never got polycythemia, which is like when you have an increased red blood cell count. Yeah. Most of the time, when I see when I see a guy that's on HRT today as a patient, and he comes in, 
most of the time what I see is there's some iron metabolism dysfunction. Uh. And the mistake a lot of docs make that do HRT is it's just everybody's following like the Cenogenics model or some body logic right. MD where it's one size for everybody. Yeah. So it doesn't matter who you are, what's going on in your body. And what they do is they just measure hormones to justify that they already got your strategy before you walk through the door. So they're just measuring stuff to justify the fact that they want to sell you shit. Yeah. I don't approach it that That's way right. at all. The way I would approach it is I would measure what's going on in someone. If a guy had, let's say, low hormone levels, I would first measure the building blocks for the enzymes and for the ability for the cells to actually make the hormones. Because if you're low in, let's say, zinc or vitamin A or vitamin D, your testosterone is not going to be optimal. Right. And so then what happens is if you don't address that, even when you put a guy on testosterone long term, he's going to wind up not getting the best results. And I got guys all the time saying, my buddy took testosterone. He hulked down. He's, he's banging his wife like every day. He's not <laughs> taking it. I don't feel anything. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, so the reason for those discrepancies and how people feel it's simply because there's other underlying issues that have not been addressed properly, and the doctors don't have the nutritional biochemistry background to really address it because they're basically they went to like a weekend course, exactly, some, you know, sales course that basically is disguised as a medical course, right? That's you know basically right. putting people on hormones. Yeah, I've been to those courses, so I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So this is this is a little segue here, but it's kind of still in the same realm. You've had you've had quite a few paleo people come through your facility out there in Phoenix, Phoenix, right? Phoenix, Arizona. Yep. Yeah. Well, we're, technically it's in Scottsdale, but Phoenix okay. is the main airport. There, by yeah. flying. Yeah, and I, I'd love to come check out your facility. Thanks for the invite, by the way. We'll I'll definitely make a point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I'd actually love to go through all the testing and everything you do there. It sounds incredible. But what what happened when some of these paleo people came through? So. Um, First, uh, I'll say that uh, when they and when it came through, they were very lean. They looked, I mean, like if you if you got to take a shirt off, you're like, damn, that boy's jacked. You're not like right. you're not thinking, mm-hmm. oh, he's fat or something. <laughs> so um, they're talking about how to follow this diet and everything. And so I said, well, how do you know that's the right diet for you? Yeah. And they're like, well, my buddy did this, and you know, and I saw these results with people. And everything is based on external variables. Mm. And the mistake I see people make all the time is they're taking something from outside the body and forcing it on their body. So instead of measuring what's in their body and using that very detail-specific stuff to determine their decisions, they're reading shit from the web or they're talking to their friend and they're doing, they're hearing something and then trying it, and then based on how they, they look on the outside, that is like the basis for affirming, yes, this is good or, or, or not good, or I should keep doing it. Right. And so uh, the danger with that is really lean people still die of heart disease, and really lean people get cancer. Yeah. So you don't can't, right. you can't look at yourself from the outside and see everything is dialed in on the inside. Yeah. Um, but but if you do get the inside dialed in then outside is way easier to address. But mm. it's just, it's time-consuming and a little more expensive. Right. Anyway, yeah, so when you guys came in and we measured some stuff, and actually, let me pull up, uh, I'm actually going to pull up some lab reports from them. Give me one second here. So that way, I, what I'm saying is, like, laser accurate. Because okay. I'm reading the labs. <laughs> and feel, feel free to name names, too, while you're pulling them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is... Uh, 
Are any of these paleo guys best-selling authors by chance? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. There's, uh, there's definitely. Oh really? <laughs> well, here's a, yeah. Here's a, so here's actually a really funny story. Years ago, I was doing um, a lecture, and uh, like a I don't even might even call it a workshop for training for dietitians and stuff. And on the panel, there was guys like uh, Andrew Wheel. It was Barry Sears. There was a couple of other guys. And each guy basically has their own book on how to eat, you know, some type of diet, or some type of, like, Andrew Wheel had eight weeks to optimal health. And I was towards, like, the end in terms of presenting. And these guys, I mean, for the most part, most of them, they're okay speakers, but they were pretty much putting everybody to sleep. It's so now I'm getting ready to speak, and I got an audience of people about to fall asleep. And I'm thinking, all right, I got to wake these guys up. Otherwise, they're not even going to know what I said, right? I'm going to be, like, invisible to them or, or I'll, I'll be, you know, I'm talking to deaf ears. So I said to them, what do you, and I started naming names of the people on the panel on the stage with all these guys have in common. And it gets, like, silent, like you could hear a pin drop. Like, even the guys on stage are waiting to see what I'm going to say. And I go, no one wants to look like them. Like they're all looking <laughs> Especially everybody Barry. was like, especially Andrew oh, White. Yeah, Andrew Will. Come on, this, I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. Andrew Will, you know, was like, okay, Santa. Okay. Well, so everybody's like, oh my god, I can't believe he said that because normally a scientist is supposed to say, well, we need to do more research. So you actually don't even say anything; you just throw out numbers and graphs and shit, and then everyone knows what to do. They're confused. And I'm like, so we got some of the smartest people in the world, and yet they have no opinions, that is so dumb to me. Right, if right. you're intelligent, you're entitled to have an opinion, and it's okay to be wrong. Right. If I say do something today, and I get more information, tomorrow I'm going to tell you to do something <laughs> different, because I've got more information, you know? I mean, you make an interesting point about how most of us just judge people on the outside with their physique. So if they're lean, we're thinking, okay, they must be fine. Like I've had people email me and say, you know, I'm sure my testosterone's good because I have a six-pack and I'm lean and all that. And that's often not the case. Usually it's a lot of really hard training people that have really depleted levels. Yes, yeah, so Chris, well, so there's, um, you know, like if you had an automobile and you're racing the engine, right, you're going to turn over consumables faster. So your fuel gets turned over faster, your oil, any other liquids, like if, you, if it's dirty a lot and keep using windshield wiper fluid, like all this stuff. So you would have to, you know, even though you fill up the tank, you're going to have to keep going to a gas station, filling it up you know, faster and faster, depending on how much mileage you're driving. So when you start training, taking someone that's sedentary, and then start training them, you know, three times a week, and then daily, and then multiple times a day, you're basically increasing turnover. And in some cases, the turnover is minimal. In some cases, the turnover is a lot. So we all need vitamins and minerals, but how much we all need, and, and depending upon the context of the environment, that's where you see huge differences. Like um, when I worked with uh, male junior tennis players in uh, Boca Raton, Florida, years ago, we had these kids that were getting hyponatremia. So these are basically kids with low blood sodium. They were sweating so profusely and losing so much salt, they couldn't just drink like Gatorade and maintain the sodium levels. So we literally would add salt to the Gatorade and basically preload their body with salt so that way, when they were working out, they had enough sodium to lose, and they wouldn't get, you know, hyponatremia. But to someone that's you know, sedentary, you know, what would you say? You say stay away from salt. That's bad for you. So there's a context 
that could be pretty extreme, you know, that determines just how much we need of some of these nutrients. So yeah. looking at now, I've got some stuff here loaded up. Okay. So this is uh, looking at, uh, we measured every vitamin and mineral. And uh, so just looking across one lab result, we have report. We see uh, folic acid levels are below normal. We see pantothenic acid, biotin levels, and uh, B12 are borderline low. So we're not a clinical deficiency, but they're so low. The analogy would be like, imagine you have $100 in your bank account and $1,000 in bills. You ain't yeah. paying all your bills, you know? Yeah. So you don't know what, what you're going to run low on, and that's where the genetics might come in and some environmental factors. Right. In terms of uh, amino acids, we got asparagine, we got glutamine that are low. Um, so that, so asparagine is sort of like an intermediary amino acid. It's kind of like a crossroads amino acid. So if it's low, that means multiple pathways are affected. Mm. Then as we go across, we see vitamin D is borderline low. Vitamin A was deficient. Vitamin K was borderline low. Manganese was borderline low. Calcium, zinc, borderline low. Magnesium, borderline low. And um, one of the things I'll point out, oh, then um, antioxidant status and immune function were really weak. Yeah. And so when I had interviewed this person, so, you know, I said, so what's going on with your diet? Um, this particular individual ate a very limited number of foods. He had less than 12 foods, like 12 different foods in the entire diet. And, you know, um, you know here's sometimes, uh, well, so the one reason why that's wrong or bad for you is the more you food restrict, the greater likelihood you're inducing a nutrient deficiency on yourself. So some real simple examples. Um, I took uh, all the United, uh, all the data from the CDC on obesity rates from 1985 till now. And uh, you can download this data for free from cdc.gov. So I took all the data, and then we, we have that data on Basically, what it shows is the country is getting fatter over time. And for people from other countries that might make fun of the United States, my response to them is, you're right behind us, so don't laugh. Yeah. Just catching up. <laughs> Very so basically, true. It's, it's a worldwide problem. It's right. not like, you know, so different guys will try to say, well, this group doesn't have this, and that group doesn't have that. That's total BS. They're just lower down on the curve. They just give them more time. And as they become more modernized or westernized, whatever you want to say, they'll catch up. But if you then look at all the weight loss drugs, all the exercise programs, you have like CrossFit come, you got people doing cardio, you got all these different, you know, gym change at Lifetime Fitness. You have ephedrine that comes and goes. You have ephedra comes and goes. You have all these different drugs supplements, diets, gyms, and you have zero impact of all of that combined on obesity rates. So even though consumers have collectively spent billions and billions of dollars, you don't see any results at the end. And, and the reason is because gaining weight is a multifactorial phenomenon, or it means there's a lot of variables involved. So you can't just tell someone exercise, because that's one thing. What about sleep? What about nutrition? You know, what about stress? Like there's these other variables. Mm -hmm. And the way most people approach it, they might see a doctor for medical stuff. They might see a trainer for some stuff. They might see a nutritionist for stuff. They're all separate. So it's like each person has got their own strategy for addressing something. 
and they're not connected or coordinated. There's no like head coach of your health that's saying, hey, this is how everything should be done. So as a result, you have strategies that may counter each other or strategies that cancel each other out or something. And so what we found is when we take on a case, we take complete ownership of every aspect of their health. And the one area right now, we started talking a little bit earlier about testosterone levels, the single biggest variable of, uh, of affecting testosterone is sleep. Right. Uh, e- even when yeah. a guy injects testosterone, if he's got a sleep problem, either insomnia or sleep apnea, yeah. he, his, he, his erections are not as firm right. as when you know he doesn't have those problems. So these are you know all these things have to be addressed. And so coming back to you know some of the paleo people that we've tested. I wouldn't say like, hey, paleo was bad or something like that. I would say, you know, if it was a false with my friends who we were joking around, I would say, dude, why are you going to follow something that a dumb guy developed, a dumb guy being the caveman? You know, if you go <laughs> right. to the supermarket in front of the caveman, you know, he's going to go and get ice cream and shit. Right. It's easy and tastes good. He didn't have that option, you know. Right. And you have, you have all these guys now to try to tell the story of what happened, you know, thousands of years ago. It's like, dude, come on. You, you're guessing still. No matter what you have, you're still Absolutely. guessing. That's what I always, that's what yeah, I always exactly. say. There's, no, there's yeah. no possible way you could know exactly. And also, also you're assuming that they actually didn't eat certain things. They ate whatever was available. They probably ate. Exactly. They probably and, ate crap out of each other's butts for all we know. You know, yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. And it, it's always funny to me. I always joke with Mike about this because the the main argument I hear from so many paleo people: this is how our ancestors ate. But then, but this person that's talking to me and Thomas, I don't know if you ever seen me before, but last time I look, I don't look like some of these guys. Yeah. <laughs> so my, yeah. We're different shades of we're different shades of color here. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we have different hair texture, and, and our our family's backgrounds come from different areas. So when I have this guy, you know, looking at me. You know, who's looking way different, 100% different than I am, telling me that this is how our ancestors ate. I have to look at him kind of now, <laughs> now from a historical, from a historical standpoint now, because yeah. I do study history and yeah. not just BS that somebody's trying to sell me. Yeah. yeah. You know, our ancestors are pre- did start in the same area, but I don't know if they're ready to accept that when I bring that part up. You know, no, 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 not that. I'm talking about the caveman. I'm like, nah, man. Last time I was doing my, doing my tree, my family tree and all that. I don't see any cavemen here. It's not tracing any cavemen, yeah. you know, so yeah. it's just, it, it, but what I find amazing, what you just brought up, when you talk about some of those deficiencies, the the main argument I hear from so many people, especially coming from the paleo world, that they always try to argue with a vegan is that vegans don't get enough B12. But yet here's this guy that you're talking about with his lab results. He's deficient in B12. He's deficient in all these areas that they pretty much try to say that, well, you know, vegans, you're not getting enough protein. You're not getting this. You're going to be low in this. You're going to be low in that. And here's this guy. Low in those same things, in a lot of those same areas. Yeah. So I just find that amazing. You think that eating all that meat, you would get your B12 and, you know, you get your vitamin K, you get, you would get your vitamin D and all this other thing from, you know, these different sources. I just, it's amazing to me. Well, so they just follow this stuff blindly. Yeah. So here's kind of like, it's kind of like the domino effect of nutrition. And, you know, um, well, first, before I go on, you know, when you would just say, man, there may be sick of, you guys see the movie Tropic Thunder? Yeah, sure. Robert Downey Jr. is like yeah. this Australian guy. Yeah, and, he's like, and he's like, you people. And the other guy goes, you people? What do you mean, you people? <laughs> That's what I made me think about, you know. <laughs> anyway, um, what happens sometimes is if we run low in certain minerals, those minerals are the backbone for very important enzymes in our body. And those enzymes are critical for other, like making protein. So let's say like intrinsic factor 
for the stomach to absorb B12. So now even if I'm eating tons of foods, let's say that are rich in B12, but I don't have the intrinsic factor protein or I'm missing some other element of, let's say, nutrition and digestion that's important for absorption, well, then it's kind of like swallowing a copper penny. You know, I don't see your blood levels of copper go up. It goes right through you. And that would, that's what happens then with some nutrients in food. So there's like, so it's kind of like one guy's low and it affects another guy, which affects another guy. Then, you know, two really big examples would be um, right now you get all kinds of people avoiding wheat and dairy for whatever reason. Right. And let's just, for, for simplicity, let's just say, their reason is 100% justified. So now we kind of ignore the rationale for it. But if, let's say, you um, one of the main sources of selenium in the U.S. food supply is wheat. So if you take away wheat for whatever reason, the reason doesn't matter in this example, you're inadvertently reducing selenium intake in your diet. Mm-hmm. So if you don't go and read up on like some other foods that contain selenium, like Brazil nuts or something, and you say, okay, I'm going to load up on this other nutrient, you're now creating a selenium deficiency over time. And selenium is a critical for making glutathione, which is one of the most powerful antioxidants in the human body. And it's critical for preventing all kinds of diseases, cancer being a critical one. Yeah. And then if you look at people avoiding dairy, so there goes calcium and maybe protein, depending on how much you know dairy was making up the protein component of their diet. So, so part of the issue is that there's got to be a strategy here. So regardless of what people choose to eat, it's not so simple like, okay, avoid wheat and everything magical happens or avoid dairy and everything magical happens. It's when you take away one food or food group, you're now also eliminating micronutrients that are associated with that food group. And if they're not thought through in advance, then, you know, what you get is kind of what I see with some of these guys that even for guys that, um, I don't know if you guys saw years ago, there was a, um, a book called the skinny bitch diet. Sure. And basically yeah, two skinny yeah. girls have this book and, you know, it got a little bit of popularity for a while. Um, you know, but they, their thing was they didn't want to see, uh, they've raised all these points and like I hear a lot of stuff that I think is really stupid. Yeah. There's stuff a lot of times people saying, well, we're the only species that drinks milk from, you know, uh, mm-hmm. another animal and stuff. I'm like, we're also the only species that builds multiple forms of transportation. <laughs> we go to other we're worlds, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, we are, we're designed to surpass our current level of capabilities and abilities, right? We're not, stuck in limbo land, just floating around and waiting. So we can't compare certain things directly, you know, against nature because we're, we're growing um, mentally and physically in a variety of ways and we're adapting in those areas as well. And as we start to really embrace some of the more uh, technological advances and in artificial intelligence, that's going to create all kinds of explosions in medicine. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we're going we're to see real... Um, you know, anti-aging then. So right now, you, you know, you got all these guys claiming to do anti-aging. You're like, all right, show me one guy that you have that lives over 150 and they have zero guys. So there's yeah. no evidence they're actually <laughs> practicing anti-aging, right? Yeah, no doubt. So, right. so there's, there's lots of things that sound good, but, you know, if you look at the hardcore numbers, it doesn't always justify some of the statements. Right. 
Now, now, yeah, that kind of reminds right, go me. Go ahead, go, go ahead. It kind of reminds me all these the, the the phrase of the moment right now is biohacking. You know, all these biohackers who were saying, you know, they're pretty much kind of defying aging and all that. But usually, the people who are like the face of biohacking that I see, they don't look like they're. Well, they're, they're hacks. Anti, they know, should just, just be called hacks. It would be more yeah, and that's the word. That's the key word, hacks, right there. You know, when you sit there and tell me you're popping 20 pills a day and vitamins a day and supplements a day, and, you know, you're all perked up and you're living off just one food group for the most part or a couple of food groups, and you're saying that you're feeling like you, I don't know, like you're in your early 20s, but, you know, and you claim your lab work shows that, but I'm looking at you. I'm looking at your face. I'm looking at your skin color. Yeah. I'm looking at your eyes, which yeah. says a lot. It's a, it's a, if I can see your eyes are crap in almost every video on YouTube, no matter what computer screen I look from, you know, look, you know, it just tells me a lot about you and just the way your demeanor as well. There's, it's one thing to be, have just a cool, laid back demeanor, but I can look and tell that you're, you don't, the energy's not there, buddy. I don't care what you're saying. I don't see this. You're you're feeling like a twenty year old. I don't see it. <laughs> I just don't get it. It just it's it's amazing to me. It's it's laughable at best. Yeah. So you know, when I first started hearing terms like biohacking, I was like, oh man, here we go, another marketing phrase that <laughs> right. you guys are going to leverage. And then as I you know as I looked up, like I'm not always. Uh, I'm a much better scientist than I am an English major, you know, so no one's coming to me to ask about mm-hmm. proper, proper grammar. And so, um, <laughs> but they come to me about biochemical and physiological pathways and you know, major medical problems. So I'm looking up all the definitions of hacking and every single definition <laughs> I'm looking at has a negative connotation <laughs> to it. And, <laughs> Which is accurate like, in this case. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know, I'm like, man, do I really want to have a negative implication of something I'm doing to myself? And right. I, I don't, uh, you know, so from a basic, like literal definition type of perspective, but as I look at some of the strategies that guys have, um, a lot of times it sounds good, like in the context of the article, because it's written to market a particular product or a viewpoint or something else. But if I then take that article and put in context of a healthy human being, there's all kinds of red flags that stand up. So a perfect example would be, I saw some stuff some guy sent me on the web about (laughs) how the blue light from your cell phone, how that could interfere with melatonin production, how melatonin's a big thing and that could affect hormones and all stuff. And so in the context of how like light affects hormone from the pineal gland, there's nothing wrong with that. That's pretty sound. There's adequate data to support that. But the context now of, okay, if you were choking to death and I said, hey, I'm going to turn off the lights, do I sound like an intelligent person to you at that moment? Okay. Hopefully not. Because if you can't breathe, why the hell am I turning off the lights? <laughs> and so now, if you look at the context, the average person is getting fatter. The incidence of sleep apnea and breathing disorders at night is growing astronomically. Mm. So we've got all these people that can't breathe, and we're telling them to get rid of light. So it's basically, it's a mixed message. It's confusing people. When they first you breathe, then you worry about light. It's real simple. If you can't breathe, the light's irrelevant. So you don't worry about light because uh, when a guy can't breathe because melatonin is just one part of you know, the molecules that could be measured from when someone, you know, after someone has a, a night's rest. Mm-hmm. The bigger, more critical element would be um, interleukin-1 beta. So if that's going up, that's going to create diabetic-like conditions. It's going to create arthritis or cancer long-term. That's way more 
of a health consequence or issued in, let's say, something like uh, melatonin levels. So not to say that melatonin is not important. I'm simply saying in context, if you're dealing with average people, or even, uh, like, I do a lot of offensive linemen, most, some of these guys cannot sleep lying down. And they're, they're, they're knuckleheads. They won't wear CPAP. So they won't wear something that will actually help them breathe. Instead, they'll sleep sitting upright. Because they're so big and so heavy, mm-hmm. they collapse their airway as they sleep. <clears throat> so that's what I was, you know, intimating earlier about, just the context of certain things. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we have, um, over the years, we've done all kinds of uh, collection on um, uh, testosterone levels in men, and we would tell guys, you know, if you're taking, you know, this antidepressant, if you're taking this blood pressure med, if you're taking these other meds, it's going to interfere with libido. It may interfere with testosterone levels. It may interfere with these other areas. And, of course, you know, they show up, and I got, like, 12 meds they're on. <laughs> and they're like, I don't know why I can't get hard. <laughs> it's like, well... You know, mm-hmm. we gotta under, you've got to address the underlying biochemical issues and then, you know, get you off these meds and then the other stuff, you know, HRT or some supplements, whatever, then that can have real impact. Yeah. But you can't, you know, use one thing to mask all the effects of the other. It just doesn't work long term. Yeah, it's kind of like people who take Viagra, but they don't have optimal nitric oxide to start with. Yeah. And so it's not going to work. <clears throat> yeah, so... I don't know if you guys have heard of this, but I've seen, um, I'm, I'm seeing more and more guys now. Like when Viagra first came out in the market, and I don't know offhand what year it was, but I remember guys taking it and swearing like it changed their lives, you know? Yeah. Right. And now over the last few years, I'm hearing all these guys going, dude, I tried Viagra, I tried Cialis and whatever else they're trying. And they're like, I don't feel like it's working. And I'm like, interesting. And, and, um, there's, uh, there's, there's more and more data accumulating that a lot of the dysfunction that a guy has, like erectile dysfunction, is more due to glucose dysfunction. So in other words, they can't clear glucose the way they should. So as a result, some of the enzymes involved in creating nitric oxide in the body, they don't work the way they should. They're basically getting glycosylated or sugar is bonding to these proteins and the proteins lose their functional ability. So if you take Viagra, you know, to raise nitric oxide, yeah, that'll work, but it's not really addressing the root cause of why you're not producing the nitric oxide, you right. know? Right. And you hear a lot of times, oh, maybe a guy needs some arginine or maybe needs citrulline or some combination. Um, L-norvaline is another amino acid that's been used. But if they have high glucose levels, you know, the, the, the arginine, the citrulline, those are like, those are like, um, uh, real quick, what, what would you consider a high glucose level? So I guess um, if uh, if I would, let's say, did someone, like I drug uh, blood on someone that's fasted and there was uh, no exercise or alcohol or change in diet for two oh. days before, if I see them at over 100, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to wonder what's going on with their body right. because there's a healthy balance, 83 is a number I see. Okay. So with 83 that it, it fits a lot of the older medical textbooks when there weren't the higher rates of obesity in the United States. And that's that's a good balance between glucose production and glucose utilization. Mm-hmm. When well one of the, the challenges when you're um when let's say if I drew your blood the first time and I have no history, 
if you're, let's say, a typical lab, 65 to 99 milligrams per deciliter for glucose, right. so let's say you're 80, looks normal, right? But what if five years ago you were 70, yeah. and now you're 80, and what if next year you're you know, 90? You're, you know, the way a doctor would normally look at that, you're like, normal, normal, normal. Yeah, yeah. But if I had your <laughs> history, I have a positive slope, right? you got to right. change over time, and that change is not favorable. You know, it's not, you know, even... Like a lot of guys focus on body composition, I think that's a mistake. I think they should focus on other variables and let their body composition go where it goes naturally, as opposed to forcing it. Yeah. Because if you get if you get people fitter, they tend to get leaner. I don't know anybody getting fitter that's getting fatter. Everybody <laughs> knows getting fitter, getting leaner. And so then it takes it people off of things like, like you know, if I did liposuction on a guy. He doesn't leave here healthier, right? I got the fat off his body, mm-hmm. but he's still as unhealthy as he was right. through the door. Right, right. exactly. So right. there's part of the, the, the adaptation from getting fitter, you're getting improvement in blood flow and getting changes in capillary density and mitochondria and things that, like long term, prevent the disease process from, you know, all kinds of diseases. So anyway, um, if we got the rule of thumb we've used, uh, by the way, as far as glucose, um, if guys keep their blood glucose levels at 90 or lower, like this is even, you know, during that, before, during, after a meal, right? they could get lean like lightning, even when they're eating excess calories. And that simple rule, if, if a guy can follow it pretty religiously, you don't see then, like you could see there's tremendous flexibility in a diet that they could follow. You would do this with supplements, mm-hmm. diet modification? Well, so I would, so ideally I would do it with just food alone at okay. first because that's kind of then now how I know, like uh, it's how I know if I have the right diet strategy for an individual. Mm-hmm. And then if, um, if let's say they want to take things to the next level, I would do vitamin mineral testing essential amino acid and essential fatty acid testing, just make sure all that stuff is addressed. And then if they say, you know, I want to take it to another level, then I would look at adding supplementation to that. Now, if it's a guy, let's say, that came in that was diabetic or, let's say, morbidly obese and struggling, then I would have a different approach. I might do some more aggressive stuff with that person just because, you know, like if you're trying something, not getting results, you get frustrated. And over time, you tend to give up. Yeah. So when I have mm-hmm. someone that's maybe been struggling for a while, I want I want them to see some results right away, so that they they get you know they basically say, oh, this is working, I'll stick with it. Otherwise, especially if you have a guy that's like, you know, I've been struggling with my weight for ten years. You know, that's not someone you say, let's take our time and see what happens. You know, <laughs> he's gone. <laughs> he's like, you suck. I'm going to another doctor. You know, <laughs> that's the guy is like, all right. And, and I, I would give people options. You know, if, uh, I think everyone should be intimately involved in their own care. They should ask as many questions as they want. Yeah. So they understand what's going on and what's happening to their body. Because a lot of times... Um, like you'll feel something before I might see it, you know? So if you don't know what's going on, you don't understand what we're doing, then how are you going to tell me something that may actually help me get a better result for you? You know what I mean? So it's, it's a two way communication streak there. And when it's dialed in, you know, really well, um, I mean, we, we get, you get really, really amazing results. We have, um, 
I got a bunch of linebackers now. I got a reputation that we got a ton of guys that have gained between 28 and 32 pounds in 30 days. Hmm. And across the board, everybody's like, dude, what drugs are you putting these guys on? <laughs> and I'm like, there's no drugs at all. I mean, when you look at what we're doing, it's so basic and simple. The key is knowing what's going on inside their body and letting that tell you what to do. Yeah. And, you know, we've been doing this since about 1989. So at this point now, we've got over 50,000 people, you know, give or take a thousand or so. I don't have the actual numbers um, that we've tested. And you start to see trends and patterns. So you know, just certain things, you just, you know, you work with a bunch of quarterbacks, you see certain things. You work with a bunch of linebackers, you see certain things. And then it just makes it easier, you know, as time goes on to get better results because it's building upon yeah. the information you gathered from the other guys. Well, it shows you the power of personalization as well. Because most people, they're just guessing. They try programs or trying different things. It's just guesswork. So if someone's coming to yeah. you, it's very personalized based on a lot of data, as you said. Yeah. So here's a, another one for you guys. So if you take testosterone or growth hormone or both, what does that do to your nutrient requirements? Nutrient, I would say your nutrient requirements would go up. Yeah, for sure. Right? Yeah. You have higher metabolism. Yeah. I think about every doctor doing HRT. How many docs sit down and discuss with their client, okay, here's how we're going to increase, you know, even if it's amino acids, I mean, something, you know, fatty acids, whatever, almost nobody does. They, yeah. There's a strategy, and right. you stay with that strategy until you die. Yeah. <laughs> well, no most change. of the time, it's they get you on the hormones, and then you're out the door. Diet's not even a Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah so, you know, I, I think, uh, oh, here's uh, another good one for you. So, um is this the four-hour expert, or who's this? <laughs> <laughs> your, your best friend? <laughs> is this a guy who uh, uses uh, a lot of fours? It's uh, just a guy. <laughs> uh, oh, man. There's a lot of things in four hours. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Except for things that are probably more important. I, heard, I already gave you a bad review because you couldn't revamp his body in four days or four hours. <laughs> four hours. <laughs> Four hours and thirty minutes. What the hell, man? Yeah. <laughs> you're a you're a quiet. Oh, man. So, do you guys want to talk about Tim Ferriss? You guys want to finish? Yeah, let's talk, let's talk about Tim Ferriss. I don't know how much time you have, Tom. Hey, so, let, I, we want to we want to make sure we get to some juicy stuff before you have to leave. Uh, all right. So, what would you like to know? Well, I'm, I'm uh, Tim Larkin. Told me that Tim Ferriss came in as a client, and you had some interesting experiences with him. So, I'd love to hear oh, about so. it. Uh, so here's what I, I obviously I can't talk about medical stuff. Right? Sure, sure, sure. Um, but what I what I can say is that from a, a personality perspective, you know, and just uh, the way I've seen him do certain things with his marketing tactics. Sure. Um, there's standards that I would never follow. Um, one of the things that really upset me with Tim is uh, we had opened up a facility on a weekend for him to accommodate his schedule. And Tim was coming in telling me how he makes 40000 an hour and all this stuff. Um, and I'm like, okay, so why do you need me to open up on a weekend? He <laughs> to come in during like regular business hours. And like, well, he made it seem like he's got all this control over his life. Yeah. You know, and that was definitely not the case. Um, I just found them to be all over the place, emailing one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning and stuff. 
and um, um, uh, it just was not the, uh, the smooth thing. But when um, my front desk person had, uh, she basically had breast cancer and was recovering from breast cancer, so she was on some medications and you know maybe not as sharp as you might expect someone to be. Right. But she'd come in on her day off to basically help out with him. And just the way that he treated her, like he just spoke down to her like she was a peon. Hmm. And I saw that. I was just going to come out and just kick his ass on the spot. Yeah. And I thought to myself, what the fuck? And then I was like, you know, the only problem with me kicking his ass is that it's too easy. <laughs> and everybody would then say, I'm the bully. Right? Like, if you beat it's up like, an old no woman, situation. you should have tied yeah, both you your hands old woman. your back. Yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things like, you know, <laughs> You don't you don't pick on someone weaker than you, generally right, speaking, right. right? And I'm I'm not a violent person. Sure, I'm sure. an educated professional, you know. But <laughs> when you see certain things, you just like, damn, what the hell? Yeah. And so it just it kind of just got things going down a very bad negative energy path, you know. And then when the Flower Body book came out, um, the first story that Tim tells is a total bullshit story that misconstrues what actually happened. Mm-hmm. So this guy loses all this muscle because he gets sick and then he goes on all these drugs and regains the muscle he loses. And Tim retells a story about how the guy got gained this muscle. He totally loses out. The reality was there was a net gain of zero. Yeah. With Tim Pence, the picture is how this guy gains 30 pounds in 30 days and the potential of the human body and all the stuff. It's like, dude, come on. Is that the you Colorado know, experiment? There. Colorado experiment? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Casey Viator and stuff. Yeah. He's yeah. like, come on, man. So, and anytime and now, someone tries to sell that program, that's a red flag, in my opinion, because that's one of those programs that keeps circulating every 10 years. Yeah. Well, so you basically got something from the 70s, yeah. 80s, you know, right? Right. And so now think about this. This guy's supposed to be cutting edge, and the best he could do is tell something that's 40 years old and tell <laughs> it wrong. He doesn't even tell it right. And so then I went online and I saw something, and I saw it go on Amazon. The book gets released, and there's like 100 five star reviews, like in a very short period of time. Right, like, right. Okay, how the hell does someone <laughs> know to go to Amazon, get the book, read it? And then they got nothing else going on in their life except to log back in on Amazon and turn in a review, right? Come on, man. That makes no sense. Well, so then later on, what Tim came out and said is how he hired guys for marketing from other countries to basically give lots of reviews to increase the exposure on Amazon. Mm. And now it's a common marketing tactic that a lot of guys use. And I think it's kind of – you know, basically, a lot of guys, they realize that people read the reviews and use the reviews to form their opinion whether they should buy something or not. Right. right. And it's like, all right, but that's kind of like cheating the system, right? And no so, doubt. like, so if your product is really good, why do you have to cheat the system? Right. You know? Right. What it is, is it's showing that what they really want to do is jack up sales as quickly as possible, you know, for whatever other reason. And anyway, so there's... Um, Lots of just kind of those types of uh, things that I've seen since then. It's just like, you know, it's, um, I wouldn't, you know, I look at all the guys that then try to associate themselves with Tim 
And usually those are the guys that I realize I probably don't want to do business with because they're not concerned about, you know, what am I doing to positively impact life? They're more concerned about, right, how am I getting my name out there and getting exposure? And, you know, my my personal sort of uh, mission is that I want to be one of the brightest minds in the world that's tackling the toughest problems in healthcare that this world has to offer and solving them. Yeah. Real simple. You know, I, I don't want to be dealing with simple shit. I want to be dealing with these complicated problems so that we could actually put an end to cancer or diabetes. And not, you know, think about all the money raised with all these different nonprofit groups. I mean, huge, huge money. Thousands of research centers and thousands of nonprofit centers and all these different diseases. And statistically, how many diseases are actually cured? Well, I don't, I don't think I don't think they're actually. It's so I don't funny. think they're Someone actually just trying to cure anything. The real problem no. is that. <laughs> yeah, somebody yeah. just brought that up online. It was like you know all these different foundations are here to quote unquote eradicate this certain disease, but that damn disease is still here. So obviously, it's kind of like it's like playing the lottery. It's like you keep putting money into that, <laughs> and you keep losing money all the time. But you're saying to yourself, well, you know, at least I'm, you know. What I do, you know, once I give them the money, what they do with it, that's on them. I gave because it was the goodness of my heart. Come on, man. Stop being a yeah. sucker. Mm-hmm. Okay, stop. Just do the research. There are so, so many of these people that are not transparent with their money where you have organizations where they're keeping an escrow. Why do you have an escrow account? Okay, first of all, and you're supposed to be a quote-unquote Well, I mean, whenever, whenever like someone has a million-dollar salary or $500,000 salary or even a $200,000 salary, that's way too much for a nonprofit. Exactly. It's like you need to go get a regular job. Yeah, but go be an investment kind of banker if you care about making money so much. <laughs> well, well, some of them are actually using those funds <laughs> too, Mike. <laughs> so from their from their mansion in Hawaii. You know? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So along those lines, check this out. So years ago, I was um, I was referred to like as a, a golfer, and and what I mean by that, I was. Uh, this was so this is going back in the eighties. So this is think about like the personal computers started making its way to universities right around like early to mid eighties. So when I was at Penn State, I remember a T library had like, I don't know, five computers and it was like a big deal, you know? Now every school has computers everywhere. <laughs> right. But this was back before there was like the, the impressive uh, capabilities with online databases with the internet. So you get like these CDs, like these CD-ROMs that you have to they would have all this yeah. information that you would load up and then pull it up on your computer. The monitors with a monochrome, there's like the green text and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so um, I had uh, uh, this professor that I was doing research for because he was writing a book that was sort of like an expose on, uh, on drug use in sports. And so one of the projects I was working on was the pattern of, you know, the Olympics doing drug testing, athletes testing positive, and then doing drug testing and athletes testing positive. At one point, I was looking at some stuff, and it was pretty interesting. So the the International Olympic Committee was saying something to the effect, and I don't have the actual information in front of me, so I'm going from memory, so it might be slightly off. But it was something like, hey, we spend like, you know, a million dollars or, you know, two million dollars on drug testing. And it sounds like, you know, that's an impressive amount of money you spend on drug testing. But then you start looking at what they spend on, like, toilet paper, what they spend on, like, all these other things. Uh-huh. 
And that was like one of the lowest ranking expenses on all the <laughs> other light items. So it's kind of like, you know, if I say, hey, I said a million dollars, you say, well, that's really committed. But now if you look at my priority list, it's like the last one. How much of a priority is that really if that's like at the bottom? You know what I mean? And so it, it kind of, it clearly outlined just like how important it was. That they just wanted to give the appearance they were doing something. Sure. But they really didn't want to catch anyone because if they did, then it raises up all these questions like, well, who else is taking something? Who else we got to test? It all <laughs> right. stuff. And mm-hmm. the reality is all drug testing did is it teaches athletes what they're looking for so they can find doctors <laughs> right. to help them to take other shit that they're not looking for, right? It's not, it's, <laughs> right. it's so ridiculous and, and, and the stupidity of it really. So think about this. We could re-engineer a bicycle so you could pedal faster today and maybe a car, you know, could go over a short distance. So if you crash and, and you hit your head, you're dead. You're going to yeah. get hurt. Yeah. But hey, we're worried about safety. So because we're about safety, you can't take steroids, but you could, you know, throw a javelin, you could fire a gun, you could punch a man in the head. Like, think, like just think of all the absurdity, like it just doesn't fit. If you worry about safety, you don't let one human being hit another human being. Right? Yeah, exactly. There's nothing safe. Exactly. There's nothing safe about breaking a man's jaw. You know? No, football but, would be football would be banned if we really cared about the safety of the yeah, You know exactly. what, guys? We're not going to let you play that game because we're worried about your safety. Yeah. Exactly. You, you know what, Tom? On an interesting, an interesting little segue. Are you a UFC fan? Do you follow the UFC? So I did. When UFC started, got getting really popular. Well, I the reason the reason why I bring that. Okay, the reason why I bring that up is because I don't know if you follow Vitor Belfort, right? He's a guy that was using TRT for a while, and then he went off because they, they allowed it for a while, the medical usage, and then they banned it, so he had to go off. So his testosterone levels plummeted. He lost a lot of muscles. physique looks completely oh, different. Man. But during his training camp, they did a measurement, and he was at 1,200. And during it, during another part of the training camp, he was at 500. And Chris Weidman, who's natural, was at 370. So Chris Weidman was really mad at Vitor because he he feels he's still cheating. What do you think? Now, assuming he's still not on TRT and using some kind of masking agent, what do you think he might have been taking to still have a high level, given that it plummeted so much after he went off TRT? Well, so. Um there's all kinds of peptides that could be taken right now. Right. Um, they're metabolized rapidly. They will not show up on a drug test. There's all kinds of... Um, HCG they, or Clomid, something like that, possibly? Yeah, yeah but they test for that. Okay, they, they test for that. Okay. For no, you're that. right. They test for that, but, right. Yeah, so in general, it's rare someone would be taking a masking agent because all the really good masking agents are tested for so like the best masking agent would be probenicid. And basically what it does is it it affects the kidneys so that when you get drug tests, it's like sterile water. Like, you know, there's nothing in there. <laughs> but then what they do is they test for probenicid. So now if they say, well, the only reason why a guy's on these stuff is to mask what's in his blood, which is right. going to show up in the urine. Right. So then you're automatically, you know, if depending on if they're following USADA WADA regulation, you know, it's automatic suspension. Right. I mean, now, his, his testosterone, the epi testosterone level was in the normal range as well. So I'm just so that the peptides one's interesting. I'm just curious yeah, what your so idea is. You could take um, you could take peptides that mimic the effect of gonadotropin releasing hormone or luteinizing okay. hormone releasing hormone. Same name, I mean, same substance, different names, and that peptide 
um, any very tiny dosages, and it's mm. available. You know, there, there used to be guys selling that stuff online. Right now, I would not recommend <laughs> someone buy peptides online just because there have been all kinds of studies where real labs buy the stuff, test it, and it's filled with contaminants, yeah. or it just doesn't have the right yeah. dose. Right. So the danger there is you would put something in your body that you don't know about. Yeah, and you're injecting or, this, right? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. You, you reconstitute, it's a white powder, you typically, you reconstitute either in sterile water, some type of bacteriostatic water, and then you would inject it. So if it's contaminated, you know, then who knows what you're putting into your body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so there's ways that um, it can be done. The other thing is I've seen, I've seen guys doing uh, testosterone decanoate, and so basically it's uh, oral testosterone mm. that has a very short half-life. I see, right. So the idea behind it is, um, so you would figure most guys aren't going to get tested like in the middle of the night. Yeah. So you would Mm -hmm. basically say, okay, you know, it's 5 o'clock, no one's called me yet, I'm not going to be drug tested the rest of the day. (laughs) So you would take some (laughs) of this oral testosterone and, you know, you're drinking water and stuff and it's just giving you that extra edge, you know, so you're that much higher. And if you're doing this every day, and depending on the individual and what type of stuff they've done, you know, to know what's going on, the next morning they may not show any testosterone, you know, excess testosterone. I see. Now, yeah. that that would have the potential to alter the ratio. And if they were tested, and uh, let's say if it was tested in the urine, it would definitely fail a carbon isotope test. Right. So, like, you do a ratio test first, and then the backup test is you do a carbon isotope test. And the carbon isotope test looks at the percentage of various types of uh, carbons from, you know, a plant-based testosterone versus a mammalian-based testosterone. Right. You know, so, back when, um, when Don Catlin from UCLA had started talking about the carbon isotope testing years ago, um, I had asked him at an American College of Sports Medicine annual meeting, you know, what happens if guys take bovine testosterone? You know, your method is based on it's a plant source. So if you take a mammalian source of testosterone, how would that affect it? And his answer was, well, no one's taking a mammalian-based testosterone, so we don't have to worry about it. And I'm like, that's how I found out about it is because guys are taking it. <laughs> So, you know, it's not like, you know, I'm not sitting at home wondering new ways to be a drug test. I'm doing my job and, you know, treating patients and athletes are coming in saying, hey, I heard this from this other guy. Does it work? They're like, dude, you know, so it's it's just, um, you know, it's just one of those things. Um, it's also the basis for why, you know, you hear of bioidentical hormones a lot of times. Yeah. That's such a hokey term because you could if a guy's taking bioidentical hormones, you could test his urine and see that he's taking a foreign substance. Right. So how is that biologically identical? Right. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, so even, even the testosterone creams and so forth, which are in that category, we still have yeah. ratios to show that you're taking an exogenous source. So we know if it's truly bioidentical, then it wouldn't show up that way. Yes, because what it is is um, the carbon ratio is from a plant. It's not from a mammal. Right. So in a urine test that would be sent to a lab that knows how to do the steroid, you know, like the carbon isotope testing for steroids, then 
they'll pick that up. Like it's only a half percent difference between uh, plants and, and mammals. But I see. when you're looking at stuff that's like one part per trillion, like it's enough that it, it matters. You know, it's yeah. easy to detect from labs that have experience measuring that kind of stuff. Right. So, you know, with some, you know, it's just another marketing term that just kind of became accepted as like medical or scientific, even though there's no real medicine, medical scientific basis behind it. Yeah. What, what about natural things for testosterone? I know you have a testosterone booster you've designed. And when we met years ago, you were you were a fan of six oxo. I'm not sure if that's even still available on the market anymore. Are there, are there any things that in the pipeline that excite you right now? So, you know. Um, a lot of stuff that we're really getting into is, is basically herbs that have been around for a while, yeah. but have never really been exploited as far as like um, something simple like Panif ginseng. There's like 20, maybe 22 ginsenicides mm. that if you were to isolate them or chemically synthesize them and then do dose response testing, you see some very unique differences. You see some ginsenicides can jack up nitric oxide, some can jack up testosterone, uh, mm. some increase muscle protein synthesis. And when you just look at like the way, um, so, you know, the way supplements were designed years ago, no one was really approaching it from like a purely scientific perspective of how to make the best product possible. Yeah. One, because it's it's very expensive, and two, it's just really slow. You know, yeah. by the time, yeah. you know, it might take six months just to figure out one thing. You know, yeah. and it, right. wait, you mm-hmm. know, scientists could die from old age before they get an answer. <laughs> so, yeah. but usually you want results a little bit sooner than that, right? <laughs> because the uh, because the bias is I want to know what works, so I know what to take. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so right now, what I've been um, looking at is uh, just getting different um, labs and relationships with sort of help out with doing some of the analysis. So it's not all on me. And so I have one lab analyzing the effects of different dosages of different incentives. Now, some of the stuff I did for my PhD dissertation, I actually did dose response testing for a bunch of different um, components from different plants. And then what I did afterwards is I took like, the stuff from ginseng that had the highest result for increasing testosterone and the stuff from Uricoma longifolia and some other herbs. Right. And then put that stuff together and gave it to people, to men. And in a research setting, a hundred percent of these subjects have increases in testosterone. When we sell the product, let's say, you know, online, so a guy goes to the website, buys it, and he doesn't read anything, he just starts popping pills, whatever, I would say that the, the results are probably like 50% of the guys will get a, an increase in testosterone. And most of the time, the guys that are looking to increase their testosterone, they're not addressing underlying issues like right. they're not sleeping. You know, yeah. they have a sleep problem, right. or they're on they're on medications that interfere with libido and stuff like that. Yeah. So then take, taking pills, you know, on top of that. What What about people that are just chronically overtrained? Right. Just people that are just like they're not sleeping, but they're still training hard because they're taking a lot of pre workout stimulants, etc. Yeah. So that definitely. I mean, what I see tends to happen is. If you increase a guy's testosterone and he recovers more, yeah, nobody says, "Okay, 
I'll, I'll keep my training load or volume consistent. They start pushing their volume or their load or their weight, you know, so either intensity load or volume is going up and they do it for too long because they just feel so good. Right. So all they do is they just push to their new level, right? And then they get even more overtrained. And because what I tend to see is um, guys focusing, like they learned all this stuff about work capacity from reading stuff on CrossFit. Yeah. Now they're beating the hell out of their bodies and they're totally ignoring the impact of volume on cartilage biology. So they're not looking at, yeah, it's great to do a lot of frequent workouts, a lot of volume, but your joints may not handle that. And so all you're really doing is like sandpapering your joints down sooner. Uh, so there's got to be a balance between, you know, getting the work in, but reducing the mechanical damage to the joint. Um, otherwise, over time, you know, it's just like you're just, you're just shortening your career in terms of lifting and stuff like that. Right. Uh, and, and I know firsthand. So um, I was extremely aggressive when I was competing. Like even the guys on drugs, like dude, you know, you just you always bring it because I was I was just a natural born competitor. Uh, no one had told me, hey, get fired up. I was just like, I gotta kill this guy. You know, I gotta go out there and lift some. <laughs> and when um. I would look at like a lot of the mistakes I made over my career. I was just so strong. You know, I'd go in and start deadlifting full five or four ninety five first set. And you know, would I recommend someone do that today? Hell no. Even if they can, <laughs> it's just not the best way to prepare the body. I, I definitely won't. That's for sure. <laughs> not on my first set. No way. Break my body in half. <laughs> Well, but what happens is like just uh, there's a reason why you warm up, right? It just right, gets right. everything lubricated better and stuff. And yeah, yeah. I remember years ago. Do you guys ever? Do you guys remember Ed Cohen? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we want to get him on the show. He's a cool guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Ed's basically, in my opinion, he's the greatest powerlifter to ever lift. No doubt. Know? And I'm, I mean, there's probably other guys have a lot of accomplishments, and I'm not trying to devalue their accomplishments, but yeah. what, what I liked about Ed is he was sensible with his training. And you, right. regardless of whatever other stuff he did, I got a really good story about it. Um, I was going to give, uh, so uh, Mauro Di Pasquale had started this, I think it was a Pan American Powerlifting Federation Championship right. or something like that. Yeah. And so we were in Chicago, and there's Mauro, there's me, there's uh, Charles Poliquin, and I'm trying to think of all these kind of like big names back in the day, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so everybody's there was um, Jose Antonio and there was uh, some other guys that were uh, presenting. And um, one of my buddies was a guy named Robert Wagner, who was like a 181 to 188 pound uh, powerlifter. And the guy was just had freakishly strong legs. You know, he was a very upright squatter and everything. So uh, Robert and I were hanging out and, and I'm like, hey, man, I never met Ed. I would really like the chance to meet him. So I'm talking around, everybody's like, oh, he trained at this place called Quad's Gym. So I'm like, okay, great. So I head down to Quad's Gym, and I was married at the time, and next um, life was pretty hot. You know, when she would walk in the room, guys would turn around and go, yo, what's up? And so <laughs> we're, we're in this gym, and it was it was my ex-wife, and she's got like, um, like uh, what do you call it, like a one-piece 
outfit, you know what I'm talking about? It's kind of like yeah. uh, a unitard or something like that. Yeah. And yeah. she's got yeah. probably some spandex because that was kind of like the style. Should have put a burka on her before you took it there, man. What <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, and, and I was with another guy, Steve, and we had on like tank tops and spandex, right? Yeah. So the reason why that's significant is we get into this gym and it's all guys. Yeah. And that one guy looks at well, most life. powerlifting gyms are. You know? <laughs> no, but this was different type of guys. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so I noticed all the guys are hanging out behind me and Steve. Like, like, like if they're on one side of the gym, next to you, know, they're working out near us, you know? But, yeah. And I didn't feel uncomfortable or anything, but it just seemed like an odd thing. And so, you know, winds up the owner of the gym comes out, starts hanging out with me and talking to me and everything. And, he was just very, very friendly. And of course, I don't get anything. I don't know. So now we wind up, we go back to the hotel and, um, hold on one second. Yeah, sure. Um, winds up that, um, uh, what you call it? I worked this hotel and, uh, I was like, you know what? I went to the head and I didn't see Ed there. And, um, uh, talking to some guys, I'm like, well, which gym you go to? And it's like, he's like, yeah, he trains at Quad Gym. So as I say that, I turn around and I bump into someone and go, oh, excuse me. And I bump into Ed Cohen. <laughs> so I go, Ed, Ed, I was looking for you today. He goes, where'd you go? I said, what's Quad Gym? He goes, well, there's two of them. I go, oh, no one told me that. So I went to this the Quad Gym, what they call Boys Town, which is just you know, a lot of guys that are into other guys. And so I totally missed <laughs> the gym where uh, Ed was training. And so no big deal, but it's just like the wrong end of town, you know? Yeah. So now it's like, all right. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to go train with you tomorrow. Okay, great. What are you doing? He's doing bed lifts. I said, awesome. And so um, at that point, I wasn't, a, I don't think I was that good of a deadlifter. Like maybe I pulled six, 700 pounds. I was still, I was, a, I was still on the smaller side. Like I was probably under 200 pounds at that point. So Ed was probably weighing like 246. So he's shorter than me. So his 246 looked a lot bigger than my, let's say, 200. You know what I mean? Right, because right. of his stature and everything. Sure. So I go to him, what are you going to start your, your – that's his first deadlift workout of his new cycle. And I go, oh, we're going to start with 800 pounds. And I said that as a joke because at that point, no one starts a deadlift cycle with 800 pounds, right? And so he goes, no, no, I'm not going to start that heavy. I'm only going to go to 799. Everybody's <laughs> <laughs> like, what? He's like, yeah, I have a kilo set. <laughs> so it's like, oh, my God. This guy's going to start his workout, like this first cycle. Because, you know, you keep in mind, he's going to go out yeah. every workout. Yeah. So if you're starting at 800, like, where are you going to end? Yeah. So I winded up the next day in the gym and working out, and I watched him pull 7.99 with no belt for six reps, take like a two-minute break, and do another two reps. And that was his dead, like his top deadlift uh, workout part. Then he goes over and he does some barbell rows with, I don't know, I want to like 365, and he did them like a toy. He did them easily. Yeah, yeah. And then he did some pull-downs with, you know, maybe like, I don't know, 250 pounds, which afterwards I was like, Ed, I mean, I was thinking you'd be handling heavier weights on the rows and pull downs. He's like, you know, I've been doing this for a while now and I just know what I need to do to get to where I want to go. Yeah. 
And, you know, at that point, I was still kind of young and naive, and I was thinking, you know, every workout, you have to kill it and go crazy, you know? I wasn't thinking about growth and longevity over time. I was thinking about right now, everything I got. You know, I, I didn't really understand recovery. And so, um, you know, almost like 20 years later, you know, now I'm thinking, Ed was a smart dude, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, he still lifts heavy, Look, too. I saw a clip of him recently, and he's, he's still lifting, squatting, and I don't, know, I don't know about deadlifting, but he's still squatting a lot. Yeah, so, so, so that's part of the, uh, you know, regardless of the drugs, you know, people are claimed to have taken or whatever. Sure. You look at longevity of a guy's career, and um, I've seen lots of guys with huge weights, and they're gone. You know, they, they, they come and they go because yeah. they push their body too hard too soon. Right. And the one thing about um, uh, him is he just has an incredible career. I remember that guy, he started as a 148-pounder, and he set so many records at, like, almost every single weight class. So I don't know any other any guy in history that has done something that I consider so impressive and I wear so many weight classes. Yeah, and plus this is before the triple-decker bench press shirts and right, squat, squat right, suits yeah. that add 200 pounds to your lips. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's the one thing that, um, you know, I, I always was a fan of just kind of like, you know, uh, of raw, not, not necessarily raw, like I think you definitely want a belt for like, if you're going to go all out in the squat or deadlift, I think a belt would be good for some safety. How, mu- how much do you think a belt adds to a deadlift? It depends on the person's mechanics. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if you got a guy, so what'll happen is if you have a guy with really, let's say, uh, bad mechanics, so he basically does like a stiff leg deadlift or something. Right, right. Um, you know, where his, basically his knees lock out and then he's doing like a back extension or hip extension. Yeah, motion. right. You know, that's going to have a totally different effect than a guy that actually can drive with his legs. And right. I would speculate that a guy that uses his legs more probably doesn't get as much from the belt as a guy that, that stiff legs it more. That makes sense. Yeah. I don't use a belt at all just for just for the hell of it, yeah. just because I like to know what I can do. But And, it's, and it's, it's becoming so freaking annoying because, A, I'm not doing like Ed. I'm not sitting there just going walking up to 800 pounds like, okay, I'm starting off with this. <laughs> but and, and it also just, just I don't know, it's, for some reason it seems like it gives me like this false sense of security. I start focusing on the belt more while I'm doing the lift because cause I'm always questioning myself like, well, damn, are you really this strong right now? Yeah, right. It's just the right. belt. Are you really just? Com- you're all yeah. compact and compressed. So I start questioning myself. So then my ego says, "Take the damn belt off, so we can just see how freaking strong we really are." And I get more satisfaction out of pulling. Let's just say, if, if pulling 450 without the belt, you know, it makes me feel a lot better than pulling like 515 with the belt on. Because <laughs> that 515 with the belt on didn't do anything to my ego. It's kind of like, well, you had a belt on. It's always an asterisk right there yeah. by the whole, yeah. the whole time, yeah. man. That's what that's what bothers me. I know some people are like, no, you need to do that to protect your back. No, you need to get your back stronger and shut the hell up. Yeah, I mean, I mean <laughs> so, my, my center is strong and my lower back is strong. So I, and my yeah. technique is good now. I really dip and drive. So I just I, I don't I've never. I've never, I don't really feel any back pain at all when I deadlift unless a rep was that. Which is another benefit of not wearing a belt. Really have to dial in. We it. know that our backs are yeah. strong. It's like we know. And our technique has to get dialed in because you have no choice. It's either that or, hey, somebody's, some, some doctor's going to get Well, I'm always, I'm always curious though because Mark Phillippe said, you know, you can, he, he said average around 50 pounds, add about 50 pounds to your lifts. I'm sitting there going, well, man, I could, I could be deadlifting 600 pounds right now. <laughs> you know, just put the, I'm going to put that belt on. But I still got that asterisk. I know, in I'm going to put though. that belt on, put my shirt over it so it doesn't look like I'm wearing a belt. <laughs> <laughs> 
Somebody <laughs> in the gun world, Mike, we would call it sprinting. I could probably still see the belt. Like, like I, something, something's wrong with Mike's stomach. Belt. It looks different. You know? <laughs> Your gut's kind of <laughs> right there. What's up, man? <laughs> what the hell you got? Somebody, you've been traveling to Africa again, man? You've been drinking water? Is that dysentery? What the hell? <laughs> you know, there's um, some, some different things to consider about you know, regarding use of the belt. So years ago when... Um, I was really into powerlifting more than, let's say, strongman stuff. Yeah. There's kind of two schools of thought. And one school was, you know, get your body strong without any equipment. And then, you know, when you add equipment, you'll get more out of it. Yeah. And then there's different biomechanists start studying mechanics of a squat and a uh, bench press and a deadlift with and without equipment. The skill that people had when they had equipment was different than without equipment. Right. So then it, it wasn't so it wasn't like as uh, as accurate to say get strong without it and then just put it on and you'll and you'll like instantly get stronger. Like it took time to learn how to lift with it on because it's like pinching you in your hips and you're trying to get the back you know, the exact placements. Exactly. It's, it almost feels like yeah. a totally different exercise when you, yeah. I, I tried using a belt maybe six months ago and it just felt awkward for me. So it's like you said, you, I, I would probably have to go a little lighter and just get used to the groove. So that changes. Yeah. Then there's, um, in terms of compressive forces and right. lumbar region of the spine, one of the advantages about keeping higher pressures and the interdiscal pressures, intradominal pressures and stuff like that is it, it offers better support for the spine. So like, um, if you, if you wear, if you don't wear a belt, basically you kind of draw your navel in, you know, to kind of brace your spine. Right. Versus yeah. if you have a belt, it's supposed to have just enough to get like one hand down the front and then you push your abdomen out against the belt. Right. And you have a reaction force, right? That, that basically, it's like making your waist bigger so it offers more stability to the yeah. spine. Yeah. Yeah. And when you do that type of technique, you actually have less shrinkage in the spine on mm. a workout by workout basis. So imagine like if you're squatting, you know, 500 pounds or, you know, some decent, like reasonably heavy weight, or if you're deadlifting, let's say 500 pounds. The compressive loads on your discs, it's going to be pretty high. Yeah. So basically, you're pushing down on the disc, which is going to force fluid out of the disc, and then like cerebral spinal fluid and other liquids are going to go to the perimeter. So whatever you could do to either deload the spine or stabilize the spine to minimize compression, I think that would be advantageous for longevity. Right. So that now, you know, like how, you know, and, you know, how's one guy getting 10 years in his career and another guy's getting 30 years in his career? You know, all these little things I think can add up over time. Right. So what I, I would probably say is, you know, if a guy chooses not to use equipment, you know, there's probably no reason to maybe go, um, you know, with good form, maybe go to like 5RM or something. Like doing heavier than that, the rationale would be, well, if you're not competing, what does it matter what you left? You know, you can always use, instead of what you left one time, you can use what you left five times. It's still a record if you improve the weight. Right. Right. If he is, then, you know, you definitely need to get fitted with the right equipment and get the right, you know, put time in learning how to use equipment that maximizes your abilities. Otherwise, you just won't get, I I remember when I first uh, got a super suit years ago and, you know, so I'm squatting. 
that point of suit, all these guys are talking about how much to help them. And I actually got crushed by a weight because the suit was so tight. It pulled me like it compressed me and rounded me. Hmm. So imagine as I'm going down, I'm rounding more instead of yeah. maintaining a nice arch in my back. And so I went down and I was like, what the hell? This weight feels like a ton heavier. <laughs> and it, when I realized just the design of the suit, it just wasn't a good fit for my body type. Right. And, you know, but you have to wear your suit to know how it's going to affect you, you know, and stuff like that. But uh, I actually got the best results out of uh, groove briefs. I don't know if you guys know what those are. It was like the bottom part of a, like a, a squat suit, but it was almost like underwear. Hmm. And these things were so incredibly tight. Like they're putting your anatomy in parts that you don't want in your anatomy. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you're wearing this stuff. But it's basically like hip support. And yeah. you could squat and deadlift huge weights. And I'm like, hmm. why can't we just use this? And so the rules, we had to have a one-piece um, uniform. So there's a time I actually used that with just like a wrestling singlet um, because I couldn't find a suit that I could, you know, keep my arch as I was squatting. And that worked really well. And then uh, over time, they banned those, like you couldn't wear the groove briefs anymore. So you had to wear like a regular, you know, super suit polyp and squat suit or something. And so uh, through trial and error, I found some stuff that worked. Yeah, then the problem with that is I would feel like I have to wear it all the time because I want to make sure I have yeah. that strength. <laughs> you know, and I, mean, yeah. I mean, like when I go to the movies exactly. in case I have to pick up something. You know? <laughs> it's like I need to make sure I have that in case I need to lift something heavy today. <laughs> yeah, not long. There's not wrong with heavy lifting. I had a, I got a joke. I had um, some of my buddies comes in from. Uh, he's originally in New Zealand. Uh, born in New Zealand, but he's living in Australia playing on a rugby team there, and he gets hurt. He comes over here and. We help him with his hamstring. We become pretty good friends. And he's driving around. He works out some random gym. And he sees this big dumbbell in the back. And the dumbbell's got dust all over it and everything. And he goes to the owner. He goes, hey, what are you doing with that gym, that dumbbell? And uh, the guy goes, uh, if you could carry it out the door in one hand, you can keep it. And so he looks at it. He's like, I know a guy. So he comes. He's like, mate, come on. We got to go. We got to go. So he picks it up. We drive over to the gym, and he goes, um, this guy doesn't think you can carry the dumbbell with one hand. I'm like, what? So I go over there, and I grab his 180-pound dumbbell. I grab one hand, and I carry it all the way out. So the guy goes, okay, you can keep it. So we, uh, my, my buddy he has a rail car, and he opens up the car, and then we put the dumbbell like in the back of the car and it just caves in the whole back you know how you got like a cardboard like lining yeah, yeah. that covers that covers the spare tone you know in the back and it's just crushed and so like dude i'm sorry he's like he was like the hell it's rental so i got a 180 pound dumbbell for free because they think anyone can carry it with one hand and uh you know it's, most of the time it's just collect dust i'm the only guy that usually uses it there's not a like even um, is it a is it a, a thick, of, is it a thick dumbbell, thick-handed dumbbell? The grip? Yeah, it's it's not like a Thomas inch diameter. Right, you know, right. That's what I was it's not as thick as that. Yeah, that thing um, is but brutal. It's, thick, it, it's thicker. It's it's this is like I would say about a quarter inch thicker than a normal dumbbell handle. Okay, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. Have you guys ever tried a Thomas Inch dumbbell? Yes, I have, and I failed yeah. failed miserably. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, I, tried the, I tried it the Arnold, and I was like, I don't okay. think I even budged yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so this is for circus act, man. Come on, this is for, uh, carnival, sure. this is for old school carnival. Yeah, act. Andrew yeah. Journey that picks that thing up like it's nothing. Like, yeah, exactly. I, that's the only person I've seen do it. <laughs> I was at a, an NCAA strength uh, conference, and uh, Magnus Magnus Samuelson is there. Mm-hmm. And he had just come off of uh, reattachment of his biceps. So he's literally like, like I don't know, two or three weeks post-surgery. Like, you could still see the surgical scars and you know, everything. Like, it still looks fresh, you know? So the dumbbell's there. And I go over and I'm like, oh, I could lift. I've done um, I've done rolling thunder. I've done over 200 pounds with their handles. I'm like, oh, I could do this. It's only 172 pounds. Like, but those handles revolve, and this is a solid dumbbell. So I, I go and I grab it, and it's like I, I barely, like, all I do is roll it on the ground. Like, I don't actually <laughs> break it off the ground. I'm like, what? i got to be able to do this. I'm, like, furious. I probably tried, like, 50 times. My friend's like, dude, let's just go. Just accept it. And I'm like, no, can't accept it. <laughs> so keep trying, and I don't get it. And then I see Magnus. I go, Magnus. What do you think? He looks over, he goes, yeah. Comes right over, he grabs it like a toy in his hand. The guy's got big hands, so yeah. that gives him a distinct advantage. And my hands, my guys tell me my hands are big, but compared to, compared to Magnus, I got little boy hands compared to him. <laughs> and so, like we all do um, compared to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Magnus grabs it. The funny thing is, he did it so easily. It was, it was like, like a set from a movie, like, you know, yeah, you try yeah. to struggle and a girl comes by and lifts it like a toy. So, <laughs> I'm struggling to grip this thing. Can't do it. He does it easily. His coach comes by freaking out. He just got that done with surgery. What are you doing? Put it down. He goes, it's light. <laughs> so here I am standing. I can't budge it. And he's like, it's light. <laughs> like, you fucker. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, hey, man, we don't want to keep you on all day. You've given us a lot of time. I really appreciate it. And where can people find out more about you? And are you doing consults? Do you prefer people come into your practice to get all the data? Um, yeah, so uh, we do work with people off-site and on-site. Um, what I would say, if someone has no major health issues or any you know, major like family health stuff, yeah. they could just go to humanhealthspecialist.com, and there's a thing there for services. They can click on getting started, and then like, there's a patient quick start for people to you know get stuff done. What I normally would recommend to people is let's just talk you know, let's, let's do a console where I'll look at any labs they have and just say, all right, what have you done so far? What are you looking to do? And then we map out a strategy. And after that, there's no obligation. They could say, dude, this sounds good, but I can't afford it. Or, dude, hey, I want to go crazy and do everything possible. Um, we've got a, a really cool uh, setup here. So when people have, like, major stuff, you know, they got a joint that isn't healing or they get some other damage in their body or disease process. In those cases, I would definitely recommend they come in because we have a lot of really bright people that work here and uh, we're just doing some really cool stuff. Like I had a had a case where this guy had fallen in the shower and smashed his head mm. and he loses the ability to walk. And he goes to all these really famous centers and everybody's like, we don't know what to, what to do with him. So basically... Throw him on a ton of drugs. He's sitting in a wheelchair. He's just vegetating away. So now not only is it the disease process, you have on top of that the fact that he's not moving, right? So he's getting weaker and, and skinnier and all that. 
And so Sammy uh, brings him in. We had some movement in his arms in an hour. And now I got the guy pedaling a bicycle. And uh, what I had done, though, in order to get to that level, I contacted the best guys in the world in different areas. We brought in a laser system that's been shown to repair uh, brain cells. We brought in some uh, stuff. Uh, we brought in, are you guys familiar with the Compax unit at all? I don't think so. It's not familiar. It's, uh, it's, so basically, it's like an electrical muscle stimulation device. Okay, sure. But but it's programmed to actually mimic um, mimic some like uh, different types of movement patterns and workouts. But the hmm. idea behind it is um, it's a really good tool for helping people to re-engage uh, muscle fibers. So when I was in you know uh, when I was in my master's program, one of my colleagues had done uh, his uh, master's thesis on um, neuromuscular electrical stimulation, and kind of at the time, the thought was that. You know, the signal, electrical signal goes from one electrode to the other as a local effect. So it's making the muscles contract. It's not going through like the nervous system, like the spinal cord and the brain. And now years later, they actually show that's wrong. That it actually, that you, by stimulating those muscle fibers electrically, you now improve the ability for the brain to connect with those muscle fibers. So basically everything we thought we knew, we found out was wrong. You know, which is kind of cool about research because now there's potential for people with brain damage and brain injuries and spinal cord injury to maybe do stuff to help them, whereas before you'd be like, we don't know what to do. Yeah. And so anyway, we got basically movement in this case when everybody else is like, we don't know what to do. And uh, so those, to me, that's like really cool, rewarding stuff. Um, I love working with athletes. I work with uh, leanest, biggest, strongest guys in the film, but it's one thing to help a guy, you know, jump higher, run faster, whatever. It's a totally different experience when a guy's dying and now he's alive, you know, when yeah. he's dying. He can't yeah. walk and now he's walking, you know. I'm not taking anything away from the athletes, but it's just it's just a different type of feeling, you know. No doubt. Well, incredible stuff, man. We'd love to have you back again sometime when you're available. Definitely. Yeah, and I guess we could finish up some uh, Tim Ferriss stories. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I have a few more, let's keep going here, man. We just got a second wind on that. Uh, <laughs> it could be, uh, yeah, uh, be a bonus episode. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, yeah, it's funny because um, I, was, uh, I was just in, uh, I had to do a, a mastermind meeting, and the, it's a guy that runs this business meeting, and his wife, who's kind of involved, but not necessarily running it, she was talking about, hey, I went to, this sort of a health summit. And it's all these like, you know, people talking about biohacking and everything. And she's like, you know, I was so disappointed. And I said, well, why are you disappointed? She goes, they all look so unhealthy. <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, you know, sometimes there's reasons why the body has certain things developed, you know, and shortcuts are not necessarily an advantage. If there's a penalty, you know, if there's no penalty, then it's okay. But if there's a penalty, it's not good, you know, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's common with a lot of those kind of things. I mean, I mean, we could go on that topic forever, but that's not, that's why sometimes to me, I'm surprised that people are hoodwinked so easily when right in front of them are, are results contrary to what the person is professing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think what it is, it's, it's kind of like, so it's just that they're reading stuff and they're getting engaged with the, uh, let's say the writer. Or the owner, of the yeah, or yeah, 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 and then and they're starting to become almost like an avid follower 
and embracing everything this person says. And so it's kind of like building up a celebrity status. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like logic yeah, now goes religion. out the window, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, or 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 new, or new religion, pretty much. It's like, oh, because basically it starts with the Me Too syndrome. While you're reading, it, like, yeah, Me Too. You know, they're reading all these things that this so-called expert now went through. You know, before they started doing these miraculous changes to themselves, and the readers going along, like, I had that problem too. Me too. Me too. Well, hell, if it did it for him, then please tell me more. Okay, I'm going to start doing that. And that's usually what happens. Or they start again. These guys are very, very intelligent when it comes to marketing. Because the thing is, marketing one on one, you know, you got to sit there and you got to prey upon somebody's pain. You've got to sell to someone's pain, and that's what these guys do. And ladies, that's what they're doing. So it's, it's the emotional aspect, not the logical aspect. And that's pretty much. It. Trust me, if everybody was logical, there wouldn't be any marketing. It wouldn't be any marketing departments, no, no degrees to go back and get an MBA and all this other stuff, which is another hoodwink situation right there. You know, go back and get your MBA so you can come back and get a better job. Yeah, right, stuff, right. Man. More marketing, more marketing BS. Okay, forget the MBA; it's more MBS. <laughs> so think about it. Well, I mean, my yes. philosophy on marketing is that <laughs> just convey the benefits clearly, and that should be enough. Yeah. If you actually have something good. <laughs> that you're selling. It's only you only have to go over the top when it's not a good product. So now you have to make up all this crap and hope the person buys it once because they're never going to buy it again. You just try to get enough people to buy it one time that you make enough money before you ride off into the sunset. And, or make some more BS, <laughs> you know, <laughs> under a false name online. You know? <laughs> well, years ago, I was uh, doing some work with Muscle Tech and had a series of ads where they were running like uh, their hydroxy cut. Yeah, I remember. They showed, ah, yeah. showed a woman pregnant. They show her <laughs> hydroxy cut. She's not pregnant. Yeah. I talked with the guys. And, you know, and, and the guys the guys I was talking about, uh, muscle tech, they're legitimate dudes. They were like really into research and stuff. And I'm like, dude, what the hell? That's like such a bogus ad. And they're like, well, here's why. And they call in a marketing guy, and he's like, every time we run this ad, the sales go four times. And so, you know, you're basically respond. It's like a cycle, you know. Yeah. You put something out there, mm-hmm. consumers respond, and then that's like conditioning the company. Say, okay, let's do more of this. Right now, if consumers would say, "Well, we don't believe it, so we're not going to buy your product," that would then force companies to say, "Okay, we got to have a different marketing strategy." You right. Know? But when uh, people yeah. see, you know, colored graphs and you know, sexy women and big muscular dudes, they just buy that shit. That's, right. that's what happens, and right. so. It's going to be unlikely. Or, I mean, we how many now supplement companies have run, you know, race cars or you know, Lamborghinis, Corvettes in their ads. Like, they're like, so the implication is like, if you take this product, somehow you're going to get so well built, the cars <laughs> will come at you, hot chicks throw their bodies at you. You know, you're going to get so like, big, you'll make a lot of money, and you're going to get all these. <laughs> to my, to my, to my little out of shape people, they don't make money. To my, to my, you don't want to be that guy. You want to be big and strong so you can make big money. Come on, guy. You don't see the connection? What the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> hot chicks, fast cars, big muscles. They don't realize it's a muscle. Guys around in the parking lot at Gold's Gym because they got a male pimp who's so, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> making them do unquestionable things so they can pay their rent in a, in a one bedroom apartment in Venice Beach. You know? <laughs> in West Hollywood. Oh, man. Yeah. Or marketing. Yeah, man. You know, I think, you know, it, it kind of goes back to what the analogy we always use American greed, that show American greed is that 
the reason why people can be hoodwinked is because they want to be hoodwinked. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, sure. Take my money. <laughs> they they want to they, they they like you said. I mean that whole example of muscle tech. That's a that's a that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about, where they're responding to the most over the top marketing promotion because that's what they want to see. That's what that's what makes a lot of things difficult in the fitness business, where people think, okay, I can transform my whole life in 90 days, and anything that takes longer is unacceptable. Even though they've been out of shape for 20 years, or maybe they've never been in shape, <laughs> they're a life a lifelong, you know, unhealthy person. It's like you're gonna just knock it out overnight. Again, there's that lottery theory. Yeah. again. keep on buying, keep buying those tickets. You'll, you'll, you can definitely <laughs> get great results in 90 days, but you're not gonna overhaul necessarily everything that you've built up over right. that much time. But anyway, just nobody wants to hear the truth though about stuff. They they they, they gravitate towards these over the top things. Like, oh, if I put a stick of butter in my coffee, I'm gonna be 30 times more productive today. I'm sharp as a tack now, man. You know, I had a buttered <laughs> coffee and I, I, my mind is like working, man. I'm like focused, man. <laughs> yeah, you focused on the toilet is what you're doing. You're aiming right through that bad boy, but you're spraying like a freaking Barrett. You've turned every right toilet now. in your house into a crime scene now. Man. <laughs> <laughs> you can't possibly get any work done. You know? <laughs> Do some of my best work in the bathroom, Mike. What are you talking about? Because <laughs> you have no well, choice. You, you can't go to your definitely office. Definitely cleaned right now. everything out. That's for sure. <laughs> saved saved oh, a bunch man. of money on colonics. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, great, great, great oh, having awesome. you, Tom. Appreciate it, man. Again, everyone, humanhealthspecialist.com. I highly recommend everyone just go check out his website today, read some articles, and. Definitely consider going through the consulting. People always ask about where can I do this, where can I do that. This is gonna, this is a legit guy with a legit service. So definitely check it out. Oh, thank you for saying that. Oh, my pleasure, man. And uh, I look forward to catching up with you sometime too. And uh, yeah, definitely, com- yeah, yeah. definitely coming out to your your facility in Phoenix would be great. And if you're, if you're ever in town to visit Tim, that'd be great if we could all get together. Yeah, you know, I get to um, I get to Vegas like. Uh, four times a year. Oh, really? Okay. And, uh, yeah, so definitely next time in town, I'll make sure to hit you up. Or something. I mean, if you have any time in between going to the Rhino and uh, <laughs> Sapphires, <laughs> if you could yeah. to squeeze me in when you're doing hey. those. Hey. I, know, I know you have a lot of clients there is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, wait. Research. I got, a, I got a quick funny story before we go. Uh-oh. So uh, there's uh, 23 guys at a bachelor party, <laughs> and uh, we're in Vegas, and we go to the Rhino, and there's like 400 women there. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I've like, never it's seen It's like Spartacus there. Yeah. yeah. It's like those parties never in Spartacus was like. Yeah. yeah. I've never seen, like, I didn't know they even had strip clubs with 400 women at that point. Like, so this is like, <laughs> I've been to strip clubs before, but I'm like, oh my God, this is like paradise. So I'm walking around, and uh, I'm going around, I'm looking at always, I mean, hot chick after hot chick, but nothing really is like capturing my attention. Right, right. And all of a sudden, I see this one woman, and I'm like, what the hell? She is, like, perfect. So I'm with Kim, and I go to Kim, and of all these chicks here, and that's the one I would pick. She's the hottest chick, no doubt. And Kim doesn't say anything to me. So now all of a sudden, the woman <laughs> starts walking. The woman starts walking toward us. And I'm like, of course, I'm looking at her. And I'm thinking she's walking toward me, right? I'm not thinking she's walking toward Tim. So she's getting closer and closer. And I'm actually getting like a little nervous thinking what I'm going to say to her. She's so damn hot. <laughs> she gets closer and closer and she walks right by me. 
And she goes over to Tim, and she's like, gives him a little kiss, and she says, I missed you. And Tim goes, Tom, I'd like to introduce you to my ex-wife. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, dude, I'm like, dude, you didn't say anything, you know? Like, like, normally you don't go to a guy, hey, I want to bang your ex-wife. You know what I mean? That's usually not very tactful. You know? <laughs> so, anyway, so now every weird time I go anywhere with Tim, I got to be careful what I say because it might have been his ex. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say she was yeah. a transsexual or something like that. I was thinking the same thing. Is this going to be a Brazil? Is this going to be a Brazilian inspired story? I mean, or a Thailand story? That's right. Yeah. Like you're very, you're Hang over part four. Would you like a lap dance with me? <laughs> Would you like for me to sit with you? Uh, that's great, man. Well, hey, man, you have a great afternoon. Awesome. Great talking to you. Hi, guys. You take, care. take care. Take Thanks care. a lot. Bye bye. And that's our, our friend Thomas Inkladen and humanhealthspecialist.com is the website. Definitely check it out. And you know what? This is just another example of just the great guests we get and the great material. I mean, name another show where you're getting stuff like this, folks. Just name one more. Just email me another show where you're getting quality like this. I want to hear it. More importantly than that, use coupon code LLA and go to either one of our websites and support the show so we can pre- keep bringing more great guests like this, which doesn't cost you a thing. This stuff is all free. So to support the show because we both have great products. We're not asking you to buy a bunch of crap just to, just for the sake of buying stuff. So at MikeMahler.com, use that coupon code LLA. You'll get 10% off everything you see there. And how about with you, man? Yeah, same thing, man. NewWarriorTraining.com, use the same coupon code, 10% off of everything. And also, man, support the show in other ways by hopping over to Patreon.com slash LLA Podcast. You know, we had a new patron just as we were doing this show, which, you know, that's that's pretty freaking awesome right there, man. Um, God, I make sure I, I was trying to pull it up because I was trying to pay attention to Thomas. And, you know, I saw that I got the alert, you know, so if I don't pull it up right now, you know, we'll give you a shout out. Was it was it uh, Baba yeah. Ganoush? <laughs> Baba Ganoush? No. <laughs> oh, no, it was actually um, it's Fabio Vieira. Fabio okay, Vieira, man, you know, big shouts out to Fabio, man. Appreciate oh, that's that. cool. Not into my wrong country, not Baba Ganoush. You know, no, actually, he's that's from Brazil. The, that, that's my code name <laughs> if I ever go to the rhinos. Like, what's your name, honey? Baba Ganoush. <laughs> Hi, Bobby. It's either that or Steve Cotter. <laughs> Steve Cotter. <laughs> like, nah, you're too tall to be Steve. We know that guy. <laughs> All right, folks. Oh, man. So, yeah. So, yeah. There you go, folks. You know, keep those reviews coming. Keep rating us, review us, iTunes, Stitcher, all those good things, man. Keep supporting the show. We appreciate that. And, um, hey, tune in next week, man. Got more good stuff coming down the pipe. Take care, everybody. Take care, everyone. Bye.